Well, there are many different areas in our lives that we are not fully committed to. Would you agree to this? Like, there are different areas of our lives in which we live out and we're not fully committed. I can think of some examples. I often set goals for myself to exercise a certain amount or to work out in certain ways. And can we just be honest, it doesn't happen like we want it to, right? Or we set a diet for ourselves and we want to eat a certain way and we often find ourselves cheating or finding a way around it or whatever that looks like. There's goals that we set for ourselves, there's things we want to commit to, but oftentimes we don't do it. Some of you may also relate to this, that we all set a goal that we would like a perfectly clean house. But who knows, this never happens. Because simply we set goals and we want to commit to things, but the reality is our lives don't actually live that out. Who has ever set a New Year's resolution? Anyone? All right, so today is July 14th. Is anyone still doing it today? Not a single hand in the house, right? Because the reality is we often like to set ourselves goals. We like to commit to things. But who knows that we don't often follow through with everything that we like to. Well, a couple, uh, actually last year, I got to spend a couple months in the country of South Africa where I got to study abroad and live there and, and to study and do, the, do these different things. And I got to do some really exciting things. Check out the screen. was me. Woo! I stand here in front of you. I did it. I'm alive. God is good, right? Amen. The reality is, is I got to bungee jump. This is actually the highest bungee jump in the entire world. They're in the record book. Now, I don't know if it's still today, but at some point, they were in the book for being the highest bungee jump in the world, and your boy did it. Woo! But it was funny because I knew going to South Africa, this was going to be one of the excursions we were going to do. We were going to jump off the highest bridge in the world. Let's go. And I knew that when I went there with 40 other students from my college, that I, I couldn't back out. I had to do it. Like if I didn't do it, I would look scared. I'd be weak. So I went and I said, I was going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to jump off this bridge. And the day came and I, I started to feel in my stomach something turn within me. I said, I don't know, but I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to doing this. But there became a moment for me when I walked up to the edge, this, this moment right here, okay? This is the moment. I know it's, it's kind of hard to tell, but I was on the edge. I was looking. I was looking down, actually, and I was like, I don't know anymore. Like, I don't know if I can do this. But I had to recommit in that moment. I had to say, Kobe, you're going to do it. And they told us, the, the people standing there that were kind of helping me off the edge, they basically said, we're not going to push you. We're not going to force you. You have to jump. And I got to the edge in that moment. I said, I have to commit to doing it. This is the moment. And then let's go one more picture, okay? Now it's too late. <laughs> right? Like, there's no going back. That white cord attached to my legs, which seems so flimsy to me, was my only source at life. 
Because at that moment, I had actually jumped off the edge. There came a moment when I had to commit to jumping. And once I committed, there was no turning back. Now, there's many areas of our lives that we don't have to commit to. This was one of them. But today, I want to talk about another king of Israel who was not super committed. Like, if you put him on the edge, he might have not jumped. Because it seemed to me, in contrast with David, that he was not pursuing God wholeheartedly. Today, we are talking about another king, and his name is King Amaziah. In the Old Testament, it tells us that the kings were put over the kingdom to rule the people of God. The kings were put in place by God to rule, and we see some good kings, and we see some bad kings. The series is called In the Eyes of the Lord because it often was said that the kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They did good things. They followed God. And then there was other kings on the other side who did bad things. They made bad decisions. And we see this pendulum swing back and forth that the people of God would often follow their leader for better or for worse. Well, today we're talking about another king, King Amaziah. King Amaziah has an incredible story, and today I'm excited to dive into it. And many of you maybe don't even know anything about this guy. Maybe you've never heard of his name. It's not King Amazon, like someone said last service. It's King Amaziah. Okay? So we're going to dive right into 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Will you read along with me? It says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoadan. And she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There's a language, right? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not, look at that last word, wholeheartedly. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. This is incredibly interesting to me. Because throughout the Old Testament, it says he either did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or not. And it kind of seems here that there's commentary given to us. Saying, yeah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly, what does this mean? We must look on, but we're going to bounce real quick to 2 Kings because 2 Kings gives us a parallel story. It tells us the story of Amaziah in 2 Chronicles and also tells us in 2 Kings. And so let's read this together in 2 Kings 14, verse 3. Talking about Amaziah, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father David had done. In everything he followed the example of his father, Joash. Now I know this can be kind of confusing because it says father twice. Like, this dude have two fathers? Like, what in the world? It doesn't make sense. But actually it's saying, like, generations before, King David, this amazing king, of God, uh, king over the, uh, the kingdom. Right? We looked at this last week. He was in no way a perfect guy, but ultimately he pursued God. And so it contrasts here uh, David and Amaziah. It says, Amaziah did what was right, but not like David did. He didn't ultimately want God over everything. We're going to pick the story back up in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 3. It says, he did, uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. And this is where it continues. It says, after the kingdom was firmly in his control, he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. Yet he did not put their children to death, but acted in accordance with what was written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, parents shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Now this might sound like kind of a harsh story to us. I mean, it seemed like, well then, what does this mean? God, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's confusing because it says he basically went and killed a bunch of people. 
But simply what it means is that he, as the next king of Israel, uh, the next king of Judah, because the kingdom was split into two kingdoms, but he, as the next king, king of Judah, was meant to rule over the land. So what was practiced is they would go and kill the people who threatened their kingdom. This is common practice. And it says here that he executed the officials who had murdered his father, the king. These individuals were threats to the kingdom. So he had to bring it back in control over his kingdom. But what's interesting is the Bible gives us commentary to the verse before, where it says he followed God in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. It literally gives us commentary right away because it says that he did, he acted in accordance with what was written in the law in the book of Moses. Because what was often also common practice is not only would those officials be murdered, but everyone in their family would, would, would be wiped out. Like the king, the new king would go out and just, just wipe out every single person involved, every person in their family, every person that knows them, right? Because they were saying, I am the new king and I need to take over. But it says here, it gives us direct commentary that he was actually doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That he didn't go out and just wipe out everyone. He only just murdered those who had murdered his father. He executed those who had murdered his father. Following these verses, the Bible tells us a story. It tells us a story about how Amaziah went into battle. The Bible talks through this amazing battle. And basically it says that Amaziah gathered 300,000 men from his kingdom. He had 300,000 men in his kingdom that were 21 or older. He gathered them all up and he went to Israel, the neighboring kingdom, and said, hey, we need some more men. He was sizing up his opponent and said, we need more than 300,000, we need 400,000. So he went to Israel and said, hey, can we borrow 100,000 men? And he actually pays a ton of money for it. Pays them a ton of silver. So he now has 300,000 men, has 100,000 men. King Amaziah has 400,000 men to go into battle. He's a good number of people, right? This is a lot of people. Well, what happens immediately after that is God goes to Amaziah and says, I am not with those people right now. He says, I'm not with those 100,000. Amaziah, do not take those 100,000 into war with you. I'm not with them, and I ultimately control the outcome of this war. God tells him, like, I'm the one controlling this whole thing. I will see if you win or you lose. So there becomes a moment right now where Amaziah is faced with something. He's like, okay, do I take these 100,000 in with me or not? Math tells me I should. Logic tells me I should. That I need these extra 100,000 to go and face this enemy. But it says again that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So we see a pattern here that Amaziah is doing the right thing. It gives us this commentary in the beginning that he did the right in the eyes of the Lord but not wholeheartedly. And it gives us two examples, one after another, of how he did what was right. He took over the kingdom and did not execute everyone. And then following that, he did not take 100,000 people into battle. Now comes the time when Amaziah, like, it's, it's all in. He goes into battle with 300,000 people. And what happens? God delivers them a victory. So in this moment, he trusts God. He does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And now he actually gets a victory because of it. He's taught that you were meant to trust God. And then... Immediately after this, we're going to pick up. It says that he returned to his homeland after this battle. These times where he is following in God and doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pick up in 2 Chronicles 25, 14, right after this war. It's interesting what it says. It says that when Amaziah returned 
from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down to them, and then, or sorry, and burned sacrifices to them. What? This is kind of a quick transition. It basically says that he followed God in these different ways, and then immediately the gods of the people, they just conquered with the strength of God. He brings them back, puts them on a pedestal, and starts worshiping them. This doesn't make sense. Why would he go from one to the other? But see, I think this is actually true of many of us today. I think if we're honest for a moment, there are times when we seem like there's nothing we can do. It seems like some of us sometimes, like, and I know myself included, that I'll go and I'll just be like, I don't know, I can't handle this on my own. And I'll go to God, I'll go to those around me who can pray over me. Maybe I'll even write in the bullet or write in the prayer card asking the church to pray for me because I need help. I don't know if maybe this is the time for you where you were looking for a job or maybe you're trying to have a child or maybe you were having really difficult circumstances at home. I don't know what this is for you. But I think this has happened to me where I'll often go to God in my desperation and say, God, I need help here. And the second that I'm delivered from this situation, what happens? Deuces. Right? Like oftentimes we'll go to God and we'll pray and we'll ask God for help. And the second that we're delivered, as soon as we get the phone call, you got the new job. Or you're pregnant. Or whatever that is for you. The second that it happens, you're like, deuces, I'm out. I don't need God anymore. It almost seems like here that, 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 that he made a decision to follow God. He was obedient. God delivered him in this war, this amazing story of God's deliverance. And then immediately what happens, he takes these gods and he starts worshiping these foreign gods who they just met. It doesn't even make sense. But if I, I think if we're honest, we often find ourselves in a similar situation. See, the reality is, the Bible contrasts him with David for a reason. It says that David pursued God, and no, he was not perfect. But ultimately, he pursued God above everything else. But with King Amaziah, he also is making some bad decisions, and the Bible tells us that he was not wholeheartedly following God. See, here's a guy for us that his heart fell away from God. He's a very complicated man. There's many parts to him. But I think this story is incredibly applicable for us today. I think if we look at this story, we say, well, maybe, if I'm honest, maybe I can relate to this. Maybe I find myself in a similar situation also. And what I want to talk on today is two ideas. I want to talk on two ideas that I believe if we are not wholeheartedly following God, if we're not wholeheartedly pursuing our relationship with Jesus, then we could fall into two different traps. Okay, we're going to talk through two ideas today. Number one, I believe that if we're not wholeheartedly following God, then we might fall into the trap of desensitization. What is this? This basically means that we become less sensitive to the will of God over our lives if we are not wholeheartedly pursuing him. That over time, it's a slow process, but over time, we slowly but surely become less sensitive to God's calling on our life. See, the reality is, is that Amaziah did a bunch of right things, right? 
as we read the story, we say he did a lot of good things. He went into power as king, didn't execute everyone, only executed the people that he needed to. He then trusted God in battle. He won by the deliverance of God, of himself. But then there's this quick change. And you read the story, and you're like, man, I don't really get the story. But verse 2 gives us that clarity. That he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Because that's giving us an inward look on his heart. To say, yeah, he did a lot of things right, but his heart was not ultimately always pursuing God wholeheartedly. Can we maybe agree that this is sometimes us? That maybe we can do the right things or we can be pursuing God in a lot of different areas. But if we don't check our heart, if we don't check how wholeheartedly we are following God, then we could easily fall away. I believe many of us have become less sensitive to the Holy Spirit's call on our life just because of time. Now, these are, these are some examples for us. Some of you, maybe, ha- or some of us, actually all of us, some of us have maybe been convicted about watching certain things on Netflix, right? Who loves Netflix, right? Come on. But we find ourselves watching something on Netflix or on Hulu or on Amazon or the billion places you can watch shows now. And you're convicted about watching certain things. Oh, I, I'm not going to watch these things. I can watch anything that has this in it or that's in it, but I can't watch these certain things. But then what happens is, is some of us, maybe we get a recommendation from a friend of a show we really, really want to watch. Like, they tell us, like, you've got to watch this. You say, I don't know. I don't know. And then you watch the first episode, and you know what happens. Like, you got hooked. Right? Like, you're in it now. There's no turning back. Because once you watch that first show, then it's kind of a... Uh, See, what happens is, is we watch shows on Netflix, and over time, maybe some of us have, become, have justified the things that we're watching because of time. That we would have never watched this show before, but over time, we've justified it, and we've actually become less convicted about it. Our, our hearts actually start to shift in the process. We become less sensitive to what God desires for us to watch. Another example is some of us, some of us may gossip with others at work. You know, you have coworkers every day that you're, content, you're, you're, you're talking to every single day, and maybe for some of us it's that we get into those conversations and it's fun. It's fun, like you got the in now. You got the tea. You got the in scoop, right? Like you're good. You're cool. And it's fun, but, 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 what happens is, is then over time, we like it more and more, and we enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves, maybe like we're not even convicted about it anymore. Maybe we've actually become a less trustworthy person in the process. Why? Because in the process, our hearts have become less sensitive to God's call in our life on the way that we can talk about other people. That maybe you would have never gossiped before, but slowly over time, now you find ourselves in a situation where we are gossiping today. Maybe this is you. I have a question. Who loves the snooze button in the morning? Anybody? Come on, put your hands up. Who likes the snooze button? All right, there we go. Who's a multi-snoozer? Anyone? All right, those are, those, I've had some roommates like that in college, and it is the worst, because then you hear their snooze one time, and you're like, well, I might as well get up, because this is going to go on all morning, right? But what happens sometimes to some of us is we have a conviction that we are going to wake up early in the morning to read the Bible. We feel convicted that I want to spend every single day in the Word to continue to grow closer to Him. 
And what happens? Snooze, snooze, multi-snooze. Because over time, we hit it once and it becomes easier to hit it again. Because of time, we actually become less sensitive. And now, maybe, maybe we haven't even read the Bible in a long time outside of the context of church. Church is the only time that we are actually opening the Word of God. That these convictions that you once had are no longer there or very, very faint because we have become less sensitive to God's will on our life. Is this you? Some of you, this might be you because this is a slippery slope. That over time, if we're not careful, if we're not wholeheartedly following God, then the desensitization will take the best of us. Is this you? That's number one desensitization, that if we're not wholeheartedly following God, that's a trap that we can fall into. The second trap that I believe, if we're not wholeheartedly following God, I believe that we can fall into the trap of comfortability. What do I mean by this? Let's read Revelation 3 together. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were just one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now that's kind of harsh, right? That's kind of a lot. But basically what Scripture's telling us here is that God despises a lukewarm faith. That God would rather you be cold if you're not going to be hot. That's a crazy thought, right? But God's saying, it's clear, I want a wholehearted follower of Jesus, that we are called to wholeheartedly pursue him. And I think the trap we can fall into if we're not wholeheartedly following him is comfortability. And I think this is especially easy in the United States. Now, I'm not trying to speak over everyone's life, and I'm not trying to say this, this is 100% true, but for the most part, for the most part, it can be very easy to be a Christian here in America, right? Especially if we're comparing ourselves to other places across the world. We can have a relationship with Jesus. We can actually proclaim his name to be the son of God. And it's, it's fairly, fairly easy for us to do that here. You won't necessarily get persecuted. You won't have a hard time. It's, it comes at a little cost. It's, it's mostly painless, right? Because if we're honest, it's easy for us to, in America today, in our context, to be comfortable as a Christian. We don't get much flack for it. But as we think about every area of our life, God's calling us to be wholeheartedly pursuing him. And some of you know that if you look at your life and those around you, you know that wholehearted people are amazing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, can some of you picture a wholehearted athlete in your mind? Someone who is just all in. Because these athletes are wholehearted. They're constantly working out. They're so disciplined that a wholehearted athlete is giving everything to what they want to do. Think about if you, if you have some sort of a job in a workplace where you're around other people, you know the wholehearted employee. You know those around you that are just working super hard at everything. They're always working to break goals. They're always working to break new ground. They're always working to improve. They're always asking good questions. Wholehearted employees are constantly working to become better, to improve, and to break new ground. These people are amazing, right? Wholehearted parents. Some of you I have seen with my own eyes be wholehearted parents who are so engaged with their kids' activities. You, 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 make, a, you make an effort to have real life conversations. You not only help them 
with, with, with easy stuff, but you also show them the real life stuff. That you show them how to become a better person. And you constantly push them in their faith. Some of you are wholehearted parents. And that's inspiring to me to tell you as a, as a younger person in this church. We notice that. And we see how there are people who are wholeheartedly pursuing the relationship with their child. And it inspires me to be a better, a better father one day, God willing. But these people in our lives are amazing, right? I believe, church, that we are called to be wholehearted followers of God. That when it says that we are called to be wholehearted, it's desperately wanting to experience God in new ways always. That it doesn't get lukewarm, that you don't just stop because, oh, I'm good now. But it's every day deciding and waking up saying, I want to pursue you today, God. That I want to be a wholehearted follower of you. See, I believe that comfortability has no place in the context of a wholehearted pursuit of God. That it will get uncomfortable, it will get messy, it will get hard, because a wholehearted pursuit of God means things will actually change. Last week we talked about the pursuit of God being better than the production of spirituality. And we talked about how the pursuit of God, there will be an inward transformation that then results in life change. That's kind of what we're talking about today. That the result of a pursuit of God, the result of a wholehearted pursuit, will result in our lives changing. That's uncomfortable. That's difficult to talk about. But I recently talked with an individual who told me his story. A story that was inspiring. A story that made me like get so excited about this topic. Because I was like, this individual seems to be doing it right. I'd like to tell that story this morning. There's an individual at our church who came to LifePoint about two years ago for the very first time. He'd never been to LifePoint before, and really he hadn't been to church in years. This individual really identified his only faith, his only religion, his only part to talking with God is, is only the sorries. You know what I'm talking about? Like going to God and saying, sorry God, I'll come back later. Sorry God, like now's not the right time. But something was working on his heart to experience God in new ways and to check out the church called LifePoint, this place right here. He came two years ago and experienced this place, and God grabbed onto his heart and said, I desire more of you than just coming on a Sunday morning. I want you to make this a habit. I want you to be here every week, and I, want, I even desire more for you. What happened was is he started to read his Bible every single day. This was kind of the next thing that happened in his story. He started coming to church every Sunday, and then he started reading his Bible every day, and, and God continued to pull on his heart and say, this is amazing, and I'm growing closer to you, and I actually want more of you. And God continued to pull on his heart and pull him in closer and closer. Then the next thing happened, which was terrifying. See, he joined a small group. <laughs> terrifying, right? This is a huge, this is a huge decision. Because now it's not just about you and God, but it's actually doing life with other people. We do small groups at LifePoint because it's not about the production. It's not about the sermon. It's about getting in circles. We believe life change happens in circles with other people. This individual took a giant leap of faith and joined a small group, and his life continued to change. Like there's something powerful when you put yourself where God wants you, right? He made this decision, and then the terrible thing happened of other people asking even more of him. 
Because now he's in the context of a small group and other people say, hey, what about more? Like, where's God calling you next? And they started asking him. He's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But God continued to pull on his heart, tug on his heart, tug on his heart. And what happened is he then decided that he was going to serve in a major ministry at our church. Started serving with the kids and the youth. And today, he continues to serve continues to give every single week time outside of church for a small group. Gives time for outside of our church for, for kids. Saying it's not just about me, I'm actually going to give it to other people. That I'm going to tell the name of Jesus to the younger generation. This is a powerful story. And went even further, he, God tugged on his heart and said, it's not all about you. It's not all about you and your finances. I want to have a part in your finances. So God called him in and said, you have debt in your life, I want to get rid of it. He is currently on this amazing path to pay off all his debt and to be debt-free. Because God says, I don't want you to be dominated or ruled by anything in this world. I want you to love me and give my, your whole life to me. This is an incredible story of someone who just two years ago walked into this church for the very first time. God pulled on his heart and it was simply him saying yes, 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 over and over and over again. Isn't this amazing? I talked with him this week and asked permission to tell the story, and, and he, he said I could, and, and we were talking more about it, and he said, Kobe, quite frankly, it's terrifying for me, because what's next, right? Like, where is this going to stop? Because it seems like God's taking me on this journey, and it's just never ending. I'm like, that's amazing, because God, with God, there's no limits, and there's nowhere to stop. God's, I believe God's always calling you to something new. He's always calling you to something more. But we need to have a wholehearted pursuit and have our hands open on our knees and say, God, I'm willing to follow you. Friends, I want to be a part of a church of wholehearted pursuers of God. That that is what is on our mind first thing every day. And it's the last thing that's on our mind every single day. Can we be a people of pursuers that are wholeheartedly chasing after God. For some of you this morning, you might say, well, I don't know what this means for me. I don't know what this actually means for me as someone who comes every single week. I don't know if this is your first time or you've been for years or you've been here since the beginning of life point. I want to say this, and I mean this. I believe God is calling you right now, all of us, to something more. I don't know where you're at, but God's calling you to more. And I believe we need to get on our hands and our knees and say, God, what's next? Because this individual came to LifePoint two years ago and continually said yes to God's call on his life. And look where he is today. His whole life looks different. Every single night almost is spent doing different things because he loves God and he's actually making a difference in the younger generation as well. I have a feeling, this might not be true, but I have a feeling that maybe this is not just this morning that maybe God has been working on your heart for a while. That maybe God in this moment is saying, yeah, I planted the seeds with you, but you've continually said no. Like, I want to search my heart right now and say, God, where have you been working on me? What's next for my life? I think for many of us, we actually know where God's calling us right now, and we just simply need to step into it and say, yes, God. So today, I want to give a couple ideas to you. If you're like, Kobe, I have zero clue, then this is for you. And even if you do have an idea, then this may bring some more clarity. Some ideas 
that we can talk about is, is maybe God's calling you to start something new right now. Maybe God's calling you for the very first time of your life to make church a habit, to make church a priority. Say, I'm going to come here every single week to learn more about God. Maybe for some of you, it's reading your Bible every single morning, that the snooze becomes something that you can actually defeat, that we can actually read God's word every single day and see how God changes our life in the process. Maybe for some of you, it's joining a small group for the very first time. I promise you this will stretch you in brand new ways, but it is the most beautiful kind of stretching. For some of you, God might be calling you to serve in a ministry here at LifePoint, whether it's with kids or youth or, or on Sunday mornings. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but is God calling you to something new right now? For some of you, he may be looking at your great and healthy habits and asking you, will you expand on these habits? That maybe for you, you spend every single day in the Word, or you spend every other day in the Word. That you read the Bible semi-often, and God's asking you, can you expand it? Can you take it from 15 minutes to 30 minutes? Maybe God's calling you right now to say, hey, finances is difficult for me, and maybe God's calling me to expand more. That you give the 10%, but God's maybe saying, well, maybe we should do more with our money than just 10%. Maybe God is taking these great and healthy habits and wanting you to expand on them. Maybe you've been in a small group for years at LifePoint, or just one season, I don't know, but maybe God's saying for the very first time, you're called to lead a small group. Take that new step of faith and say, I'm actually going to bring more people in. Maybe God is calling you for the very first time in your life to go on a mission trip, to go down to Mexico and to serve. I don't know what it is for you, but I simply want to ask the question, where is God calling you to right now? I believe God's calling all of us to something, and I simply want to ask, where is God calling you? I want to be a people who are wholeheartedly pursuing God. Will you pray with me right now, please?